Welcome to the Candid Rank Live Show, Leaf Talk Edition. With Candid Frank and David Morrison. Let's talk hockey. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting pattern. I I don't know what uh, I I don't know what exactly it is about the Leafs that they just don't they just don't have that that level where they just I I don't get it. I guess it's maybe just maybe the other teams are just playing a different way against the Leafs and they're just not expecting it. I don't know. But yeah, the, I will say that I'm not as concerned based on how the week has gone, and how especially last night went. Yeah, no. It, it, the, reason, the reason I say uh, what I said is they actually played well against the teams that usually they don't like. Well, first yeah. of all, admittedly, Buffalo is not a at this point playoff bound team. So I guess technically we can refer to them as a, a team that isn't that good because they're not making the playoffs. The other teams they played are all great teams. I mean, um, you know, I mean, uh, I should say even Edmonton, right? And they beat Edmonton. What I want to say is they beat them six-two. So there wasn't any that they handled two teams this week that weren't that good. But I'm really referring to uh, the game against Calgary last night uh, against the Islanders. Uh, they should have played better. And they did not. But I don't think that had anything to do with um, anything other than the motivation of the Islanders, the support of their fans, and, of course, uh, the Leafs just not not up to to the excitement, I think. I think there was some – looking back at that game, yeah, there was a level of intensity that the, the Islanders put themselves up to. And a friend of mine actually made a good point about this. The amount of effort and energy the Islanders put into that one game, it was almost like 10 games worth. Because what happened to the Islanders after that game? 
Yeah, and before, and, like, after, and before, and before too. Like this, this the Islanders were not playing well. I, I feel like they were just so fixated on that one game against the Leafs, and now, like, look, the, the Leafs lose the game against the Islanders. What do they do? They rack up two straight wins where they put up an impressive goal amount. What happened to the Islanders? They lose two straight and are no longer uh, atop of their division. And if anything, they're they're starting to get lower and lower now. So, yeah, that was that was a game where the Leafs just it was a second half of a back to back. They just didn't have the same groove. They just didn't look in the same place. And I think part of it, yeah, the Islanders, the intensity of that game was just through the roof and. The Islanders just went like they put their foot on the pedal, and good. You can do that for one game. You can't do that for the rest of your season. Or, or you can do that when you're playing an opponent back to back to back to back to back. In other words, that kind of level of intensity can help wear down an opponent, maybe. But the point is, if you if you're playing other teams in between, as is the case here, it appears as though they spent a lot of emotional capital beating the Maple Leafs and, of course, Tavares, and also wanting to satisfy the need their fans had for a drubbing of Maple Leafs. And they had nothing left for before that game and after that game. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they have played well around that game. We're gonna, we will find shortly in a couple of games they'll be playing again against the Islanders. We'll see how the Islanders roll into that game. They'll have played probably one or two games before that game against the Leafs. And we'll see if it's still in a funk and see if once again they, uh, you know, drub the Leafs and and funk again. They better hope they meet the Leafs in the playoffs, maybe. Yeah, I mean, somebody had brought that up to me that um, what would it be like if the Leafs were to face the Islanders? Well, the only way, the only other way, two ways that can happen is if either one of the Leafs or the Islanders be in the first round based on flip-flopping the standings, which I don't see happening at this point, or conference finals, which, no offense to the Leafs, their road is a lot tougher than the Islanders based on how the playoff format is. And I still have an issue with that, um, with how that playoff format works out. I don't know if you would want to get into that. Oh, we, we can get into that right now. Uh, the point is, three of the top four teams in the league are in the Atlantic Division. Yeah. To your and point that you're, you're alluding to. Oh, exactly. Like, and it's not just, you know, it's not, and I don't want to put this as just a, a problem the Leafs have. Because I look at two other divisions in hockey in the Western Conference where you've got the Central Division with the Predators, the the Jets, and I think the third team now is St. Louis. One of those teams is out after the second round. And then the Pacific Division, San Jose, Vegas, and Calgary, again, after the second round, one of them is gone. Like, I I don't know what the NHL is trying to get at here with this playoff format. I understand they want to create the division rival, but I don't understand why you want to not have your, as you go deep in the playoffs, the better teams, the better matchups happen. I don't know. Like I felt like last year when we had the uh, Western Conference Finals between uh, Washington and Tampa, two top teams, that was fine. 
um, because the Metro was good last year. But now the Metro is, in my opinion, the weaker division in the league this year. And somebody is going to get, I think, an easier ride to the conference finals. There, there's there's no, no doubt about that. It, it is a reality that one can calculate at the very least. Uh, the, the thing about the playoffs is, and this is something we've seen through history, right? The Stanley Cup champion goes to a tough road, admittedly, a tough road. They all, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, battle, you know, they, they just trial by fire. And, and that trial by fire requires an ability to overcome attrition, all the injuries that may not happen, the tiredness, all that stuff. All that stuff accumulates during the playoffs. But, you know, you've also got to have a, a, a trial by fire that you can win and that you have a chance to win. But if you're, if you're the Bruins, Tampa, and the Leafs, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna really destroy each other early and maybe limp into the next round. And limping into the next round in the playoffs can be the difference between a winning and losing uh, a playoff. You know, we've seen we've seen through the years, you know, the first round has, has taken out some pretty good teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, I look at, I mean, when you look at, um, I'm trying to think of, like, the Central Division last year, I think you had Winnipeg, Nashville, and I think it was St. Louis was the third team. Like, those teams beat up on each other in rounds one and two. Vegas took care. I mean, they swept L.A., who I didn't think was as good of a team last year to make the playoffs. And then they took care of the Sharks. And then they seemed to be well, you know, they didn't have the same amount of, you know, bumps in the road as what uh, Winnipeg and Nashville went through. Because Winnipeg was, they were, they, it was a close series, but Winnipeg just, was so battle-tested after the first two rounds, they just had nothing left in that tank for Vegas. And though I do admit, like, you do want a challenge to go through the playoffs because it keeps your team on your on its toes and you want your team to, uh, to go over adversity because that's what, obviously, winning a championship is all about, overcoming adversity, you know, fit, going through the tougher challenge. But... There has to be some level of, you know, the NHL needs a lot of, to balance it out a little bit better than I think we've seen since they've introduced this format, which was a couple of years ago. What advantage is there to finish first in your division in the National Hockey League today when finishing first in your division doesn't compare you to the rest of the teams in the league, only those nearest you? Exactly. Like, I don't, you know, finishing first in the NHL, especially the President's Trophy, meant a lot because you get that first place seed versus the eighth place seed. Um, Now, in a way, Tampa will get, now, in the East, Tampa will get the eighth seed, but it should be, after every round, it should be reseeded based on ranking, not based on division. Like, you're telling me that Tampa deserves to go have, let's say, right now it would be Pittsburgh or Montreal in round one. Then in round two, it's Toronto or Boston. 
Yeah, no. And Which like, is where the issue starts. Yeah, the issue has never been round one. The issue has always been round two. Round two, like, you know, the NHL wanted, says round one of the playoffs is the best round. Well, hold on. The whole point of the playoffs is, you know, fans get more engaged as the playoffs go along. You don't want fans checking out after the first or second round. You want them to be invested all throughout. You know, no other league in sports has this type of seating as the NHL. You know, baseball, football, basketball all go through ranking of where your teams finish off. I don't know. But isn't the NFL made... something like that, though? Isn't the NFL something like the, the, the NHL one? Well, the NFL one, it's the wild card teams play each other. Uh, they play a, the wild card, two wild card teams That's play the against difference. positions. That's the yeah. difference. That's the difference, which is something that should happen in the national. While you can't, you know, they don't, they're not forward thinking enough to give, let's say, like, I believe that in the first round, the home team should get it. It should be five games at home and two on the road for the for the the other in the first round. Or that's why the wild card game is, is, is such a good idea because the wild card game basically says, okay, you're going to earn your spot in the playoffs and you're going to get a little tired and we're going to weaken you a little bit and give the first place an advantage which we think they've earned. And, and that's why that works in the National Football League and that's why it even makes sense for the National Hockey League. Yeah, and somebody told me, I listened to an interview that way back in the, I think it was the 80s, the NHL did change the format of their playoffs where the home team got, it was like a two, three, like it was the the home team got more, you know, more home games in the playoffs, not this whole, you know, two, two, uh, one, 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 which I'm not a fan of. I think if you earn... You're the home team. I think the AHL actually used to do two, three, and then uh, four. Like, you'd finish off. You'd always have the four home games, but it's spread out a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. If if I'm the NHL, three home games for the home team, and then if the awaits, and then the fourth game, the away team gets a chance to, you know, to win at on away, and then they can... I think, yeah, I think you're right there that something has to be given to the teams that put the, you know, put pride into trying to finish here's, the top in the regular season. Here's my suggestion. This is stop, you know, something I've toyed with for a while, but only to it. If a team, you know, you, you arrange the teams the way they are right now, but if you're playing a team, um, well, it wouldn't be the way it is right now. It would be eight, the top eight, play each other, the top in, in the Eastern Conference, the top eight in the Western Conference play, play each other. And if you have 15 more points than your opponent, you get an extra home game. If you have 25 more points than your, than your opponent, you get, a, you, get a, you get another home game. And yes, it, it, it slants the, the advantage to the home team and to the team that finished first or way ahead of the other team, but I think it earned that right during the season. I honestly just think the easiest way is if you win the conference, that earns you that extra advantage. Like if you're a team that just sneaks into the playoffs, you should not get 
a similar advantage as to a team that is at the middle of a pack or at the top. I think if you do the one, like, you know, let's say Tampa and Montreal meet in round one, and Montreal barely makes it, or they're the last team, Montreal should have one less home game in the playoffs. And it doesn't, I mean, it could be any team that finishes there. I'm not taking on just Montreal, but I think that would, I think your way works better where it works. I think that's a way I would consider is if you finish at the top, you get that extra home game than the guy who but just I think there should be, but, but I just should think I'm going to stick to the fact. The reason I say that if you have that many points more, in other words, I don't think there should be a, a severe advantage because that's a pretty severe advantage. If you're if you're only two points ahead of somebody else, that's just in my mind that's enough not enough to give you the advantage. The real real concern that might be in changing, like if we look at the standings today, just for the sake of discussion here and argument, they could have a wild card. They could have a wild card segment, okay? And I'm just going by the way the standings are now, knowing that there isn't they haven't played equal amount of games. I know if you percentage it and all that, it, it doesn't work out. But right now in the wild, the top four teams in the chase for the wild card are Pittsburgh, Montreal, Columbus, and Philadelphia in that order. Then what you would have is you would have uh, maybe a, a one game, a one game knockout. Philly goes to Pittsburgh, Columbus goes to Montreal. Team that wins, the teams that win get in and then those teams obviously end up playing the first place teams and at least that way they increase the interest in the playoffs now now while you know the other the downside some may suggest especially you know especially in the eastern division where it just works out pretty good because philly pretty close to, to pittsburgh right points wise you know they're they're only five points behind and this would really be good in the Western Conference, where the difference, the difference in points between the, the uh, top four teams in the wild card, Dallas, Minnesota, Arizona, and Colorado, the point differential is a mere three points. So you know, uh, I, I think that's the way to go, especially if you really want to you know, add some excitement to you know at the end of the season for teams that you know, aren't close enough to really know they're going to be in the playoffs like Columbus, but give them that back pocket opportunity to be, get themselves close enough that they can have that game and uh, that be another gate for, uh, you know, not just the teams, the home teams, but that would be another broadcast opportunity for the National Hockey League. I just remember... Um... I'm trying to find out the uh, the year um, where Philadelphia and New York played in the shootout to get into the playoffs. Yes. This was the year. Yes. This was, I believe it was 2010. It was the, it was the year Montreal and Toronto didn't make the playoffs. On Saturday, Toronto beat Montreal. They needed to win to have a chance to be in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. And then the Islanders won in a shootout to get into the playoffs, and both Montreal ended up not making the playoffs. I think that's the year you're talking about. And it might not, well, be, it might not be 2010. You might be going back to maybe 14 that to year 16. Was that, that one was 2006, 2007, one of those years. What I'm talking oh. about here, Frank, is um, 
this is between you. It was New York and Philadelphia were tied in points. They were tied, like literally tied in every category that was a tiebreaker. So the NHL made them play an extra game to go into the playoffs. They called it almost like a game EP where both teams had to play a game and Philadelphia won in the shootout and went all the way to the cup finals against Chicago. It was 2010. Uh, I just looked it up right now. That's a scenario I would be fine with. Like, if you if teams are either close, like you said, I like the the idea with the Western, especially the Western Conference team. Um, if you have like four teams that are within a point of each other, play make them play for the playoffs, and it would also add to the you know the trade deadline where teams may not want to add because they're not. Are we going to add for the chance to win one playoff spot? Well, if you have four teams that have a chance with this type of Walker game, the trade deadline would have a little more, you know, a little more interest for other teams to try to do something. Like I, I know. Um, well, there would be there would be less sellers. There would be less sellers because there'd be more opportunity out there for a team to think that they could make the playoffs because of that extra little, you know, that that extra little wrinkle in in how the playoffs work. Well, that's true, but you also get teams that, like, there were teams that made deals that only made trades because they thought, like Columbus, they pushed teams to make, you know, these trades to sell off because they wanted to go in the playoffs, so they paid a little bit higher of a price because they really wanted to get into the playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, there you get the chance, too, that maybe a couple of extra teams are who are on the bubble decide they won't sell. Like a Philadelphia, they may not sell a Wayne Simmons if they need him for a potential playoff run. I, there's the part of that too. The NHL was this is something that Gary, uh, somebody had asked Gary Batman about the one play, you know, that one game wall card, like in baseball, and he flat out just went no, because he said what you know a team that went through 82 games to have it decided on one game whether they make it to the playoffs or not. And you know, there's some fans, like in baseball, who don't like that maybe a team that was in the first wall card has such a sizable gap between the second wall card that it's just, you know, they they find playing one game that ends your season. My thought process, the counter-argument is that, well, you weren't good enough to solidify your spot in the division, so why should you be, you know, you should have to play that game to show that you are worthy. That's the whole point of the wall card. And I think that's something like if the NHL is going to call this a wall card, they need to actually make it a wall card. That would definitely make it wilder. (laughs) No pun intended. Absolutely no pun intended. Why would I make a pun? That would just be. That would just not be useful. We we do in fact you know have concerns you know and and, and I think we all um, whether you're a fan or, or type uh, you, you, we all have the same you know the same concern and that is is it fair and then we put ourselves you know in somebody's shoes if you will and then start asking ourselves in that framework. Is it fair? Well, as far as the playoffs are concerned, 
whatever happens, happens. As long as the rules of the game are fair and and the opportunity is, you know, sort of equal, sort of the intention of the, you know, the rules is followed on, there should be no problem. But here's the problem that you bring up and that I bring up. It isn't fair. And that makes it questionable, at the very least, to have Boston Toronto play in the first round, three, uh, two of the top four teams in the league at this point. They get up in that position, you know, come come the end of the season. The question arises, is, is that fair? And, and should that be the way it is? Well, that's why we raise the issue, because we don't think that's fair. Because on the other hand, you've got a team that finishes first and is playing a team in the, in the, if we looked exactly how it worked, um, we could look at it here and 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 see, uh, for example, the opposition Washington. Their uh, their first opponent would be much like the first opponent that Tampa would meet. But that's not the series I'm talking about. The series I'm talking about is the Islanders Carolina series, right? Carolina is hanging by a thread while they're only three points behind the Islanders. They're hanging by a thread to make playoffs, but they only have 78 points, whereas Toronto and, and Boston both have 87 and 86. They have more than those two teams. So, you know, it definitely doesn't meet the eye test, but it is what it is. You've given your opinion. I've given mine. And, uh, any final comment on that issue before we go? No, I think we beat that to death. But I, I it's okay. been something I've been thinking about more so, definitely. It is what it is. It is what it is. So uh, this week, uh, Wednesday, uh, the after the Tuesday show we, we did, Edmonton uh, played Toronto to a 6-2 loss. Edmonton looked uninterested. It was David's first game back from suspension, and obviously, you know, it, he, he was back in. I don't know if you recall what he had, Russ. Uh, we saw glimpses of why Dreisaitl gets paid what he gets paid, but we saw the weakness that the Edmonton Oilers have, and that is a lack of support scoring beyond their first line. And that pretty much was the death of them against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who it turns out have a fourth line that is really starting to produce goals even better than their second and third line, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I I think what teams have been trying to do to the Leafs, and it's gone against them, is, well, you know, we can't really shut down Tavares, Marner, and Hyman really well. So let's really put our efforts towards Cat, you know, Nylander's line with Kadri out and Matthew's line. Well, now you got a fourth line here that's, you know, producing, you know, I mean, Tyler Ennis, he's the one that's kind of been the catalyst, especially the past few games. Uh, he's, and before you know, he was he's injured. No, yeah, he's no slouch. And before this is he was injured. Yeah, exactly. This is a guy who scored 20 goals in the league before. Um, he was just not, you know, yeah, and he was just not a fit in Minnesota. And then you have Trevor Moore, who I think has been such a 
a big part of that because of the way he plays, the way, you know, Babcock is a huge fan of Trevor Moore. And how can you not? He's He's been, he's provided that spark since he's been, uh, he replaced, I guess, pretty much replaced Lindholm because he was the reason why Lindholm got traded. Uh, and Levo. So like, and Levo. And Levo. Exactly. Like, I know people are upset about Josh Levo being traded, but I, I, I mean, Trevor... Yeah, and like Trevor Moore, I, he's been more than adequate, and he's signed for next season. You know, he's even though he's already earned, so kind of earned himself a spot. He's not letting up, and this is how the Leafs have to beat teams. It's not just your first line, not just your second or third line. Your fourth line has to contribute as well. And I think actually against the Islanders, that was the problem. The Islanders have a really good fourth line, and uh, the Leafs had an issue with that. Their fourth line kind of just was spent. I think they were just, they were tired and not, you know, they didn't have their best game. Um, but the past few games, there's no question they've been the, arguably one of the better lines on the team, which you don't say very often about a fourth line. Well, you don't say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you just Pat. You don't say that about a fourth line when it comes to anything other than being physical and bringing energy. Because up until recent memory, the fourth line was the line that went out there to do baggage smashing. You know, that's what they did. The Leafs now have invented this fourth line scoring threat, this additional scoring threat. When you consider in an era, a lot of teams are looking for second line. Look at, look at the team they played, Edmonton. They're looking for second line scoring. And here are the Leafs with fourth line scoring. So this is where, at this point, the way things are going right now, that uh, tough hockey, that heavy hockey that we hear people talking about that the Leafs don't seem to use or have the ability to perform because of their size, at the very least, anyway, they're making a case for not needing to play heavy hockey because they can actually play talented hockey. The real test is going to be in the playoffs, where the only, I think, the only thing that could kill this theory that the Leafs and their GM and the management team of the Toronto Maple Leafs have is, uh, is if the officiating, the, the referee puts the whistle in his back pocket and the clutching, the brag... Uh, the grabbing, the holding, the intimidation is allowed to happen. If that happens, that's where what the least plan is may fail. And that's what everybody's, you know, talking about. The, the truculence thing is all about the playoffs being very truculent, and you need to have a team that can play that way because the rest of the teams are going to play that way. You need to protect your players, and the only way to do that is if somebody does something, for example, takes out your defenseman, Dermot, and nobody even says boo. You know, is, is that something that has to happen? Or are you more concerned with the players that replace him than punishing the players who did that? I got four well, turkeys out Well, I will say I'm, I'm more concerned about the players that are replacing him. But, like, you know, that hit on Dermot, um, what annoyed me about that was the ref, they put him in the penalty box. Then they send him out of the game. He doesn't even argue. It looks like he he's going to go down the tunnel. And then he's back on the bench. Like, you know, first and foremost, the refs need to do their job properly and call the penalties like the way they should. 
Um, yeah, was I, I was disappointed that nobody – I mean, at the same time, Malone was taken off the ice, I think, before really anything could happen. Um, but, yeah, first the refs need to do – I mean, now in the playoffs, I have no doubt the refs are going to let things like that go. So, if you're the Leafs, I mean, I, I, this is something they've had to they have had to live with, and they know they're going to have to live with. They're not, as we've said before, they're not that team that's going to push the physical agenda, but they have to play with you know intensity and for like you know against Calgary. I mean, we'll get more into the Calgary game, but even against Edmonton, they were swarming them. They were all over the puck. That is the type of game when you overwhelm another team with the four lines that can come at you like they do. That's what the team the Leafs are hoping they can do. Um, and then with the physical stuff, I mean, the, I felt like that was a blown, a blown call by the refs. And you know that that happens. Refs are human. Um, but when something like that happens, it does get a little annoying. The Leafs outscored their uh, opponents in the four games that they played, 18-10, to 10, and that's also factoring in a 6-1 loss to the Islanders. So needless to say, those other three games, uh, they allowed only two goals, but they scored six, five, and six goals. That's 17-6, to six, outscoring their opposition. Now, we, we can discuss how they outscored the opposition, but I think the real difference, I mean, that's not... Let's not let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that elephant's name is Anderson. He this week has been he has been outstanding. I think he's played his best goal of the season for a week at least. Anyway, a complete week. Yeah, I would say the Edmonton game and the Calgary game were his best, one of his best of the season, especially against Calgary. Um, I, I, a- I mean. Yeah, he was, like, you know, this is one thing I think people forget um, when it comes to your goaltending. Like, I look at every team that has won the Cup or teams that have gone to the Cup Finals, it has always been because your goaltender is playing a big part. I haven't seen many teams get over shaky goaltending. I mean, and to be honest, Anderson was shaky against the Bruins last year. He was... Good, but not phenomenal against Washington. Like, Braden Holpe was phenomenal for Washington when we played them. That's the type of thing the Leafs are going to need to be successful. And he's shown more so this year to give me belief that he can do it. Because, you know, when I watched, there was one game where the Leafs got, you know, people were worried about how they're playing against Boston. Well, one of the games, I'm pretty sure Garrett Sparks was a net, not Frederick Anderson. And I think Anderson has shown he can beat Boston. Uh, the playoffs last year was a little concerning. I think he's, you know, kind of put himself on a good track this season. Um, and he's shown the season that he can rise against the good teams. Because when the Leafs beat the good teams, Anderson is a big part of that. Yeah, I think he's, he's more than a big part. He is central to the least success. And, and I think that, you know, in as much last year's playoff loss to the Bruins was, you know, hung around uh, Gardner's neck, I, I think really honestly, and people have, you know, 
the talking heads have pointed out the fact that Anderson looked tired in that series. And, and, and it's it's not just a physical tiredness. It's about emotional tiredness. And, and when you're playing, when you're going to play either Tampa um, or the Bruins in the playoffs in the first two rounds, uh, if they're lucky enough to have um, a victory against the Bruins and then Tampa getting eliminated, which, you know, would, would really throw the, the division into total turmoil. Without a goaltender that plays as well as Anderson can play and he has to play, uh, the Leafs can be in trouble because goaltending is a major factor in the playoffs, always and always will be. It, it will be, yeah. Um, you know, especially when, I mean, the defense losing two guys like Dermott and Gardner, your your goaltending needs to, you know, for, they always say the goaltending is the last line of defense. Well, in the least case, <laughs> the Anderson sometimes is the only is least only line of defense. And when you have two guys that are out that play big parts of your, I mean Gardner, we we know the the word the, how people think about feel about him. Um, there are some people who after the Islanders game said maybe. Leafs fans should give Gardner a bit of a break now after you see what this team is like without him. But I also think when you lose two guys simultaneously, not many teams can have that uh, can have that you know are able to overcome that in the way that just saw a snap where you throw three new guys into the lineup like the Leafs have had to. But that's why Anderson is so key to that. He can help the Leafs you know, at least stabilize and and kind of give the defenseman a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, you know, loosen the chains a bit to know that, you know, he has their back. I don't think anybody uh, can doubt or, or, or would even consider the fact that he doesn't have his team's back. And, and, and I know you're not suggesting that he doesn't at all, uh, but no, it I, is I something to consider. It is something to consider, the simple fact that the team has to do some stuff that it has not done, and that is play well enough to carry him for a change. Because it, we have not as yet, in my opinion, in my in my humble opinion, we as yet have not seen, you know, a, a team, um, the Leafs, play the kind of play the kind of uh, game where they didn't need Anderson. I don't know. I I just don't. There haven't been enough of those games. I'll put it that way. There hasn't been many games where Anderson has been the like the Leafs have had to score their way out of Anderson not playing well. I mean Buffalo, he had a shaky first period, but after that he was pretty good. Um, there just haven't been that many. Maybe at the beginning of the season and last year there were games like that where the Leafs have had to score their way out of it. But, yeah, you're right. Like Anderson has – I think he's – it does take time for goaltender. Like, in his first year, there was that issue. where He just – you could tell he was still trying to feel out how his team plays. Uh, I think he just realizes how he needs to play for this team. Um, there was a stat uh, – I think it was against uh, the Munch- – it was, like, Montreal, that game where he scored allowed three goals in the first period. That was like the first time he allowed, you know, three goals in the first period in a while in that season, in the the season. Like, usually if he gives up one, he's not giving up another. 
Um, and, you know, the right. Montreal game was probably the one example where the Leafs had to kind of pick up the flack and get themselves back in it. But after allowing three, Anderson didn't allow anymore. And that's what you want from your goalie. And he's done that. He's he's come up more more times than I can remember. I've been nothing but impressed with him. And, and I'm telling you that that game last night, I mean, they scored two goals against him. But really, both those goals, you know, a great shot and a, and a you know, close deflection. But some of the saves he made, just amazing. And, and that's the kind of goaltending that can beat Tampa. And, and the reason I say that, and, and they're not going to play Tampa yet, but I think the same is true for both Boston and Tampa. Boston's goaltending has not been as consistent as that of Tampa. And I'm referring to Domingo as well, not just, you know, not just number one. Uh, they they have outplayed the Bruin goaltending, I think, over the year. They have an offense that I think has, for the most part, outplayed the Bruins. So the the Leafs game against, against the Bruins, if it comes to pass, they have a better shot of goaltending the Bruins. And I think they have the offense to keep up with the Bruins. And if the physical intimidation and the ability to get good good calls doesn't exist for the Bruins, at least have a really good chance to to win. They they have a really good chance to win. I, I don't think they should be afraid of anything, to be honest with you. Well, and, and you're right, because I, I felt like last year the Bruins' goaltending wasn't great. They, they, the Leafs weren't shut down offensively by the Bruins. It's just the Bruins got to the Leafs early on, and Anderson wasn't on his game. Um, although there was games in Toronto where Anderson definitely stole it for the Leafs too. Um, because after Boston beat Toronto in, uh, in the first round, second round, Boston's goaltending was exposed by Tampa. I mean, Tampa... the the way that they were able to roll their offense was what you wanted the Leafs to do. And they just weren't able to execute that. And I think you're right. I think if based on what I've seen from the Bruins goaltending this season, I look, the Bruins have also won a lot of one goal games. Like we're talking about the streak the Bruins are on. A lot of the big reason why is they're winning these close games in overtime, but Boston has been relying on a two head no the one with Halak and Frask. I don't think either one has looked great. They've been good. Um, but when it comes to the They've playoffs... They've looked great at times, but not often. Yeah. They've looked great. They have looked great yeah. individually, but not often enough to, to be a concern for an opponent in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be concerned about playing Boston in the, in the first round based on the goaltending. Like, if we're being real here... The goaltenders are worried about for the Leafs in the playoffs. It's Vasilevsky in Tampa because we've seen it. He's got that ability to steal games. Holtby in Washington because, again, we've seen it happen to the Leafs where he can steal them a win. And, I mean, after that, it's kind of a toss-up. Like, I don't think – like, New York's goaltending is kind of well, normalized. Price. don't get Price. They've handled oh. Price, but he's a guy that – you know, he's a guy that can turn. Yeah, he. Yeah. 
But you're right, though, that he had been a problem for the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, Price, I mean, I think when the playoffs come around, if Montreal makes the playoffs, if I'm a team playing Montreal, it's not going to be easy because I know Price is going to be on his game. Uh, uh, the only way I don't see is if if Montreal is having the scratch and claw and have to play him a lot, and that's a lot of miles on him. But he's Absolutely. a guy to that... Get there. To get there. Yeah, to get there. He's... Price has been a big reason why Montreal wins, like especially on Saturday. Like they lost because Tampa, uh, Pittsburgh got you know made capitalize on mistakes and Price wasn't able to bat, you know bail them out. That I, that proves that just shows how much they rely on Price to bail them out of their mistakes because he's done it so often, and they need that to happen going forward. The the. The much to close, you know, we're not going to talk about the Canadians, but the, the, I'll give my opinion on the team, and that is that Price and that team are made each other. They are a team that is on the counterattack. They have some great, talented, gifted players on that team, and if they can catch you with your pants down, you know, swing it at air, they score on you, and so. It's a great setup where you have a goalie like Price who makes a miraculous save, and that miraculous save puts you out of position, and then the speedy Montreal Canadiens go on a two-on-one, a two-on-zero, a three-on-one, and then end up scoring. And, and we've seen that in the playoffs over and over again, a great save by goaltender followed up by a goal by his team. So, you know, that's the kind of recipe for disaster that is the Montreal plan against any team they play in the playoffs. And that is their counterattack, and, and that's something that you know if you can beat Price and, and Pittsburgh, you know, and it wasn't Price's fault. I watched that game; he didn't have a chance mm-hmm. on the first goal. You know, he, he he's not 12 feet wide. You know, you can't guard a goal when the when the deflection comes from the angle changes by a good five feet. You know what I mean? It it it, it oh, was yeah. impossible for him to make that save. So and then the other goals were much much like and then he let in that uh, bad goal, but you know you let in one bad goal you should do six six one, <laughs> you know and no, and, and that's exactly. the and and that's the problem and that's the problem that Montreal can find themselves in. On to uh, the game this week and uh, we talked a little bit about Edmonton. Uh, do you think Edmonton garnered some confidence playing the Maple Leafs because they really did look good and Anderson looked good too. And I think they were better than the uh, two score uh, indicated against the Leafs. Um, I think the, the thing, and I watched Edmonton's game against Buffalo, and I I was still trying to figure out how Edmonton won that game because they looked so bad in the first period against Buffalo, um, and then you know Leon Drysaitel. Uh, McDavid in a way, Nurse like they were able to will them to to a win. I, I in my opinion, Edmonton and it's been their problem for for a while now. They've been able to develop this top line, but below that, it just does not come through. Like, I mean, uh, they they have Nugent Hopkins who can play pretty well, Drysaitel who can play pretty well, McDavid, but then after that. We're not looking at a very talented lineup that can, you know, match up against other teams. 
Uh, and their goaltending is just, it's not great. Um, Koskinen played better after the first period when I watched them last night. And even against the Leafs game, like he, yeah, there were, you know, the Leafs have had instances where they've been able to get some breaks to go their way. And you you make your breaks by playing a certain way that you're on top of teams and force them to make these mistakes. Um, but Edmonton's goaltending is just not not very good. I mean, if you're asking, I mean, most I think most people will take Frederick Anderson versus most goalies in the league. There are maybe a couple where people will go against Anderson, but Edmonton just does not have the talent depth that the Leafs have, and I think that's the bigger problem and why they just can't match up with them. Well. It begins, and many uh, many a prognosticator and so-called experts, and I don't mean they're so-called, I just experts, always suggest that if you're going to build a championship team, you've got to build them from the net out. Ironically, the money spent from the forwards in. So that's the challenge, because, um, you know, you have to have, you know, this is why Bobrovsky's leaving, you know, Columbus is a, is a real severe blow for their team and an asset being sought by many other teams that love that kind of goaltending. There are a lot of teams out there who have question marks that can be overcome by good goaltending. Take Philadelphia, for example. Oh, yeah. I mean, Columbus, I, I, I listened to an interview John Tortorella did. And, you know, he admitted Bobrovsky is good, but they needed to play their other goalie because they know he's most likely leaving. So they need to see what they have. And I think they're going to be a team that's going to be aggressive looking for a goaltender this summer. Um, I look at what Montreal did with Carey Price, making him the highest-paid goalie in the league at $10.5 million. You know, there's – and Henrik Lundqvist is getting about – yeah, like there's and Rask is getting about seven in Boston. There are teams who have put a lot of money into the goaltending position, um, and then for some of them it hasn't worked out. Like I don't know teams were going to give Bobrovsky as much as he's looking for. He'll get a good money, good contract, um, but you have to be very careful because, as you said, the goaltending position you rely so much on it. If you're investing a lot in it and it doesn't work out, you are in a big, big hole if you do that. Because you can't afford you can't afford goaltenders of that price. Contended. No, you you really can't afford. I mean, I've always said a goaltender well, shouldn't get. Well, I, I always say my for me, it's like goaltenders shouldn't get more than five years in a deal. Because it's so hard to judge what, how they're going to play in an eight-year span. That's how I've always felt. Well, and, and committing that kind of money. But to take a different tack, uh, I think, for example, the Bruins. Uh, when, when, when the Bruins, I think they paid back something like $3 million, something like that, two and a half, three million, something like that. And a lot of people, you know, wow, they're overspending for a backup. But in their mm-hmm. case, you know, that it, it's worked out for them. I think he's earned that salary. 
you know, and then when you look back to the Maple Leafs and their experience with McElhaney, you know, their goaltending wasn't wasn't much more than seven million dollars. And and the kind of goaltending they were getting from Anderson and McElhaney combination, you know, was pretty good. And now, you know, to it's a good segue is uh, you know, Sparks gets signed for seven hundred and fifty grand. That's not much. No, it's not, and and part of the reason is because how much are you going to really pay Sparks? Because he doesn't play that much. It, it, you know, the reason why Halak got the money he got in Boston is because he's playing a considerable amount of games. Um, because, Sparks, because the Bruins questioned their number one goalie. Exactly, and I have another good situ another good example. Uh, Dallas for years before they got Ben Bishop, they had uh, Lettinen and Niemi, and they're paying ten million dollars for both of those goalies. And the Sharks and the sorry, the Stars were terrible <laughs> defense. Like they just did not have the goaltending to get into the playoffs, and they're spending ten million dollars on two goalies. Too much. Uh, yeah, Too much. so it's like you know. You need to decide, are you going to go with the number one workhorse like the Leafs are doing with Anderson and then get a cheaper backup that can fill in for the, you know, 18, maybe 20 games, uh, 25 games? And you're all like in, Spar- and be all in with your number one goaltender and be all exactly. in with your number one goaltender. That's the, that's the risk uh, for teams like um, like Toronto. You know Montreal has a pretty good backup. Uh, other teams look at look at Tampa. Uh, Deming is he's done nothing but impress whenever he's been in goal. In fact, uh, when he had to take over because of the injuries, he was outstanding. You know, the, the point total that that they have Tampa, Deming added quite a few of those points. About twenty of them belonged to him and him alone for what he did for that team early in the season. Oh yeah, I mean, I as a fancy hockey uh, owner, I had Vasilevsky. As soon as he went down, I picked up Deming, and my team didn't suffer because of it. Like Deming did his job. You know, uh, I look at you're right. Deming is a good is a really good example. Um, I look at a team like Anaheim with John Gibson and then Ryan Miller behind him. With both Miller and John Gibson out, Anaheim suffered because of it. There aren't in Chicago when uh, they tried to go with Cam Ward. That didn't work when Crawford was out. And then they brought in uh, Delia, who um, was able to get them back until the playoff race. So, you know, teams are realizing now, I think, how much a backup especially a backup who's had a track record. Like, you know, the reason why Sparks is in the position he's in is because Dubas believes in the track record he had with the Marlies. Walking away, I mean, I don't know if he... We always know that Babcock preferred McElhinney, the veteran, over Sparks, but Babcock acknowledged the experience that Sparks had in the AHL. So I, that's that's where teams are leaning more towards, I think. You know, if your backup can come in under a million and give you the, you know, if you're a starter, I mean, the Leafs had that problem when Anderson went down, Sparks got hurt and wasn't playing that well. And then Hutchinson came in. 
who actually didn't do a terrible job when I consider you consider the circumstance and the situation he was put in. Um, but that's what you job. hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I in a way, I was kind of wondering what would he be like if he got the backup job. Because, you know, this is a guy who had, again, who also had a track record before uh, he came to the Leafs. So there are guys. Um, you just have to be, you have to decide what are you willing to invest in playing time and cap wise to bring that guy in. What you're, what you're leading to say is that what you hope is that you end up with a guy like Leonard who is rescued from the scrap heap in Buffalo, goes to the island and is a big part, not the only part, but a big part in taking a team who was who were who had the worst goals against record to the best goals against record in consecutive years. Something unheard of. So that's the other thing you hope for. And that's the kind of person a Hutchison can be. Maybe. Maybe. So you know you've got to have guys down in, in the minor leagues, you've got to have a guy down in the minor leagues that is playing a lot, that you have confidence in, that you believe that if called upon, uh, he can come up to the big team and offer an alternative to the backup goaltender that you have on the team. Because event- essentially, if your top goaltender goes down, you still need two goaltenders, David. It's not just about having one. Yeah, that was the big problem for the Leafs. I mean, when they lost both McLean and Pickard, they needed another goalie. It took Dubas a while to get Hutchinson out of uh, Florida uh, because Florida... Cost him. Yeah, it cost them a draft pick. I mean, you never want to have... No, no, no. I think it was a fifth rounder. They were never going to... Yeah, they didn't... Yeah, they weren't going to spend that much on a on a minor league goalie. Cause, and the other thing, too, the Leafs needed in that, in that trade was that Hutchison had cleared waivers so that he can go between the NHL and the AHL. Um, I mean, he could only play, I think, 10 games until his, before his waivers expired, but that was something the Leafs needed. Um, I would be interested in seeing if they dipped into the – the free agency market for goaltenders like they did with Cascasuo, um, who hasn't looked, who hasn't been terrible, but hasn't been great for the Marlies. He's been average. They have two younger guys in Joseph Wall and Ian Scott who could be options down the road, but I'd like to see them add, you know, either a college goalie that's, you know, ready to come up into the HL or a, a European goalie that can, play in the AHL that can, you know, give you just that insurance or the assurance that you have something beyond your one, two, you know, in the NHL. I like a banner that's in the island, on the island right now and a costume that's in Edmonton, a guy that you can bring, you know, across the pond and put him in, give him a chance to be the number one goaltender and feel confident enough that he can be your number one goaltender. Now, I'm not referring to him being a giant-ass success in Edmonton. That's not my point. My point is what you're trying to say and and, and how to express it in a way that people should be able to understand, having seen what happened in Edmonton. Uh, The other thing is goaltending is a major factor, and one that Calgary, uh, you know, is drawing a lot of questions about. This is a team that's second overall in the league 
and people are questioning their goaltending. That's, that's a scary. That's a. That's not something. A subject. If you're number two in the NHL, that you want to have legs. Oh yeah, I mean the big question for Calgary going into the trade deadline was whether they were going to add a goalie. The the two problems with that is one, it's very hard to add a goalie and expect him to be productive after a trade. Uh, teams have tried that in the past, and it hasn't worked out. And the other thing too is that you don't want to give your goaltenders the I you know the idea that you don't have the confidence in them. I mean. When I looked at the game last night, there were some bounces that didn't go Rich's way. His his defense kind of left him out for dry in certain parts. But no, if you're Calgary, you have your as you said, Frank. They're second in the league. You don't want to lose out in the playoffs in the first round potentially because your goaltending wasn't good enough. Like that's something you're because you're up a, against. <laughs> yeah, and your I'm GM sorry, can no, and you're I, you're right. Like you don't want your GM to be criticized because he didn't address the one thing that every contending team should have solidified going into the season. Yeah. The point, the point being, the point being that you don't want to be the second overall team meeting a team that's eighth or ninth or 10th, depending on, you know, the, how strong the West is and, and playing that team and all they have is goaltending. But unfortunately you don't, you know, and, and, and we all know, and I, and I spoke about this earlier, and I'm revisiting it again in the, the press factor. Uh, you know, if a goaltender is on, on his head, it leads you really to a lot of golden opportunities for his team. You know, it, it's not about how great an offense you have. It's about how great a position a goaltender can put their offense in that matters in the playoffs. You know, these are all these, are all these players, these players in the National Hockey League, there really isn't much difference between all of them. It's about opportunity, execution, and and surprise. You know, the element of surprise is the biggest factor, you know, um, in, in the National Hockey and in sports in general. You know, when the Leafs win to Calgary to play the Calgary Flames, if people looked at the scoring and the score without watching the game, and they go, my gosh, 6-2? Who would have thought that Toronto could do that to, to Calgary? Well, it was simple. Not that they weren't deserving of six goals. Not that they weren't deserving of the victory. But the factor that Anderson played turned what I think could have and should have been a 6-4, 6-5 game into a 6-2 game. And that is what in the playoffs makes a big difference. Because you can lose a 6-5 game a lot easier than lose a 6-2 game. Yeah. I mean, the, the, that was, um, uh, I think, the Flames fans at one point were booing their goaltender last night, if I'm not wrong. Out. Like, I mean, that doesn't... I mean, if I'm a team that's in the playoffs, second in the league, or atop of your division, the last thing I would be doing is booing my goaltender, considering how important he is to your team's success. But absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, your goaltender, you as a team, you also need to give your goaltender some sort of confidence that you know, okay, I let in a couple of bad ones. Let's try to help them out here. Like for the Leafs, it was four nothing before Calgary even did anything. 
Right. Like you, you can you can lose those games like six three four six five. You can so you know, there's teams that have been able to trade you know able to get back into those games. But you cannot go down for nothing. And expect your goaltender to feel confident that he's going to keep you in the game. Yeah, and rest assured, as much as we're talking about how important goaltending is, if you make the playoffs, you at least understand team defense. Whether you execute or not is another story, but you do understand how it works. And therefore, if you end up with a 4 nothing lead, you should be able to figure out how to protect that lead at the end of the, you know, even if you have two periods uh, to work on it. You know? and, and, and essentially... The Leafs did that, and and the goaltending, to me, you know, it's also what appears to be bad goaltending, you know, and it was apparent that Riddich was having a bad night, you know, that, that third trick goal by Ennis. I mean, that was along the ice. It was along the ice. What was the goaltender doing? Floating in the air? You know, that was one that I found it wasn't a, a hard shot. It, was, it might not have been a floater, but it was the next best thing to a floater. And, and it's that kind of goaltending that I think yanks a lot of the energy out of a team. And that's the other factor, that goaltending that isn't great and that is questionable creates a situation for a team where they're not all in offensively, at least as part of the game plan. If you feel you have to add a little more protection to the goaltender, you're not, you know, and that's why you need good goaltending, so you can be on the toes of your skates all game. And uh, Calgary got whole game; they were on their heels the whole game. David did never have a chance. Um, the Leafs also took advantage every opportunity, pretty much every opportunity they had, and, and they were well worth the victory. And uh, Calgary, uh, you know, if they can sort out the goaltending, if goaltenders, you know, it's been a year where they had, you know, one guy and then the other guy takes over, and now the other one sucks, and now he takes over. The only hope they have is that one of them is playing well. That's the hope they have, because they don't have a number one goaltend. No, you're, you're, you're bang on with that. Like the Calgary right now should be worrying about who is going to be that number one. Uh, the players need to stand up for both goaltenders and let them sort it out. And if you want a good example of a team losing confidence in their goaltenders, I, in Buffalo, um, I believe it was Reinhardt, Sam Reinhardt, called out his goaltenders, saying, we need to get a save once in a while during their when they were losing. And it's like, come on. If you want your goaltenders to pick up the slack, don't call them out like that. Uh, I can understand it gets frustrating when, claimed, you know, He claimed to be misunderstood. He claimed to be misunderstood after the fact. Well, and we, I mean... And we know he wasn't. No. He's, he he had to, you know, I guarantee somebody on the team told him, hey, you need to, you know, retract you what you said there. Because you do not, and I repeat, you never throw your goaltender under the bus. It's like, you know, in football, you never throw your quarterback under the bus. Whether you believe he was good or not, you never throw your quarterback under the bus, and you never throw your goaltender under the bus. Because most of the times, when goaltenders don't play well and they know it was their fault, they own up to it. Um, it's the goaltenders who don't think they're the problem and they're blaming the team. Those are the ones that are the problem. But most of the time, especially in the NHL, goaltenders who don't perform and they know they didn't perform, will own up to it. 
So I think players need to support their goalies and at least give them the confidence to know that, okay, you know, you're not having your best night, but we're going to try to pick you up. And there's times where the Leafs have been guilty of that, where Anderson hasn't looked well and they just didn't have their best game. Like, they weren't able to pick him up. And that's something that teams who – and that's probably sometimes the difference between good teams and, and not very good teams. Absolutely. Let's – let's uh, running out of time here. Let's finish talking about the games that we played. Uh, the Islanders, I think, we, that would be just beating a dead horse. We all know what happened there. Um, I guess uh, to review that, it would be simply that um, – we discussed it earlier, uh, and I think we both agree that the, the emotional expense that they drew on, being the Islanders, uh, it was one that they drew on and cost them games prior, looking ahead, and those after the game. It, they really have not played well in and around that game. Yeah, I mean, the Islanders played, a, they had a good game plan for the Leafs after, really it was after that disallowed goal on the offside. Yeah, they, they pretty much. That sucked the air out of the That sucked the air yeah. out of the least. Yeah, so uh, they they knew, you know, Muzzin had a couple of bad pinches that went against them. That you know, there's some breakaways, there's some tips. They just they they knew that they had the momentum and they and they they ran with it. So, and Babcock was right to say, you know, if you're if that's the way you're going to play when the atmosphere is like that, you know, you're, it's going to be very tough in the playoffs. So I think hopefully the Leafs learn a lesson from that. Absolutely. Uh, then moving on to the next game, which uh, featured uh, the first game for Nick Patan. Uh, he accomplished something he hadn't accomplished uh, all season thus far in Winnipeg as uh, a Winnipeg talent. Uh, he scored a goal in his first game with the Leafs. Uh, looked pretty good. Uh, he played the way we expect and the way he's been, you know, people have said, you know, he should. Uh, Medicine had Tiger scoring leader uh, and a great offensive threat. And uh, it seems that seems to be the way they're going with the fourth line. We talked a little bit about that. And alternating between him and, and Ennis, if he can be, a, a, you know, similar to Ennis, David, that fourth line is going to be threatening. And it's you know, you send baggage smashers out against those guys, you're going to get in trouble. Oh, exactly. I mean, the one thing that they, the Leafs, that that was a, you know, there was a lot of people who were saying, <clears throat> sorry, that, you know, why was Tyler Ennis sitting? Why was Nick Patan being put in? And, you know, I think Babcock, uh, A, he wanted to kind of, you know, stir up the feathers a little bit to remind guys after a poor game that, hey, there are guys here that will come in and perform. Um, it, it was One thing I liked is that they were able to bring somebody in uh, that was just recently brought in, and he was able to have success on the fourth line right away. Um, I expect the fourth line is going to be kind of rotating a bit too. Somebody uh, oh, absolutely. was telling um, somebody was telling me that Patan might be playing center tomorrow against Vancouver. And there, go, there's a good and, chance of that. And he had uh, experience as center. Well, that's his natural position. So I think it, it's interesting because we talk about, you know, that Babcock likes goat size. Um, you know, his size is a big but, thing, but 
Right. I'd like. I'd like to see how he can, uh, how you know, not having a game in will if that kind of makes him you know keep on on his toes. And I think more there's a lot of contending teams that are willing to roll lines, you know, different lineups. I think the Leafs need to show teams that hey, we've got different looks that you have to game plan and match for. And hopefully that's something right. Babcock is going to try. Well, here's, here's what you didn't say that, that I'd like to add to what you said. The other thing Babcock likes, he prefers center over wingers. Yeah. He, he, lo- he loves centers over wingers. And and anytime the Leafs bring somebody in, you'll notice they, they have experience at center. They have no less than uh, eight centers in their lineup, literally. And, you know, th- these are these are players. They they love the centers. They they love the way, especially centers that have a history of being centers. Players that have a history of being centers. They play the game the the way that that Babcock wants the game played. They really got to be everywhere and and defensively. It's what centers do defensively because we all know that historically wingers aren't really a key component when it comes to the, the defense other than hanging around the blue line and being available for a pass to the zone. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that, that's part of the reason why Babcock didn't want to put Nylander at center. Was because it wasn't because of what he could do offensively. It was always about what happens defensively. And I mean, the good thing with the third line is they haven't looked bad defensively. I think having Brown and Marlowe allows him to take some of uh, the pressure off of them in that regard. But no, I think the one thing about Gauthier is he's always been a reliable defensive player. He's not the best skater. But he uses his size, uses his positioning the right way, and I'm curious to see how if they decide to go out with the fourth line of Patan, Moore, and Ennis, which is all guys under six feet, how they play defensively rather than you know the offensive part. The, of the Smurf game. line. The Smurf line. Yeah, that's a good nickname. Yeah, I know that is exactly the Rangers won a Stanley Cup. With Smurfs, with you know, with small players, small speedy players, you know every year the Stanley Cup, and after it's won, post decisions are directly affected by the team that wins the Stanley Cup and how it appears they did it. And it's never been as much as we talk about physicality being, uh, you know, uh, a mainstay. Yes, it, it is an impact on on the Stanley Cup playoffs. But there have been many seasons, uh, Edmonton Oilers, like I said, the New York Rangers won, they stand, won the Stanley Cup, Tampa Bay when they won the Stanley Cup, Montreal Canadiens all those years winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, all these teams, while they may have had a level of heaviness, really it wasn't the heaviness that brought them to the floor and to the championship. So, you know, the Leafs aren't doing something, you know, for you folks out there that think, the ones that are suggesting, oh, you got to have toughness to play in the playoffs. No, you don't have to have it. As long as the alternative you have negates the other team's toughness. We heard from Babcock early in the season that if you have a decent power play, that can help offset the intimidation factor the opposition may try to put on you. 
Um, you know, and, and, and there's truth to that. But then again, you know, it, it's all about, you know, paper, rock, scissors. The paper, rock, scissors formula and or situation is what causes teams to win the Stanley Cup. You know, there's different styles of teams, but different styles negate other styles. You know, it's not one style doesn't stand alone as the way to win. It depends on who you play, too. Well, yeah, for sure. And, Frank, you brought up the power play. When you have both Patan and Ennis potential in the lineup, that second power play looks a lot better. Because um, after they move Janssen up to the first power play unit, you add you add guys that I think are better power play contributors. Um, you know, they, they – Mini Marners. You don't just – Mini Marners. Yeah, and Patan is a good player in the slot. That goal he scored in the slot, that's his that's his wheelhouse. That's where he he likes to score in tight. Um he's willing to go in the slot in the middle of the ice, you know. Uh Marlowe, he had a night nice, there was one goal he passed it to Nylander that he scored on the power play. Like you need your second power play to also pick things up and that's where I think having these guys and that's part of the reason why I think Babcock's considering it is because you still have your penalty killing, killing guys like, you know, um, Brown, Hyman. Um, I'm trying to think of the guys of like Marner. Marner, Tavares. You still have those guys in the lineup. Yep. Yeah, and so the, you're not changing too much in that regard. I mean, Gauthier, not the, he can win face-up, but he's not the best penalty killer because he's not, you know, he doesn't close gaps defensively quickly and he doesn't really can't get there no he's just not that can't get there so i i like i like what that could potentially do no i mean you you don't have and this is this is the part this is the part that drives me crazy too babcock's never been a guy who likes you know he's not a big physical guy he's not a guy that loved bruising teams i mean the red wing teams that he had were more about talent and scoring than they were bang, bang, bang. Now, he had the odd guy that could bang, bang, bang. Don't let me mislead you. But the fact is, it wasn't the main thing that they did. They had the odd guy that could do some stuff. But their their claim to fame was their speed and skill. Now, he's relying on a lot more speed and skill than he was with Wings, admittedly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Gauthier has come a long way with the skating. Like, I remember that was the biggest reason why he was never considered for the NHL, and that's one of the biggest things he's he's changed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Babcock likes to have those guys that can push the pace. He likes to push the pace. You have these guys that are able to carry the puck and move the puck and and those sort of things, he that's how Babcock wants to play. And I think he's going Absolutely. to uh he's gonna rely on that more. Okay, let's move on to the next game, but before I move to the next game, uh, it was nice of the Maple Leafs uh, organization to ensure that uh, John Tavares was made to feel welcomed in Toronto, appreciated. A great thing they did um when he went out on the ice. Uh, congratulations to the fans on making this guy feel welcome and, and appreciated. 
and uh, he deserved it. And it was a great move by uh, the Maple Leafs and uh, whoever came up with that idea, assuming anyone in particular came up with that idea. The next uh, game, um, we talked a little bit about Calgary. We have to talk much more. It was a game where really the Leafs offense uh, wasn't much better than the Calgary offense, and, and we, I think we discussed this one pretty good. Uh, Anderson was the difference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Anderson was the difference, and they they got off, you know, four nothing. Once the Leafs are up four nothing, they're not letting that lead go generally. So, um, three games this yeah. week: Vancouver, exactly. Edmonton, and Tampa Bay. Vancouver is a team that is 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 both struggling and playing well alternately. Have good goaltending, not good goaltending. Have some great talent. Uh, up front with Pedersen. Um, they're, they're a good team. And uh, the Leafs are going into Vancouver needing two points as much as Vancouver does. Although, you know, Vancouver, some might suggest, well, it's too many teams to climb over, not going to do it, don't stand a chance. They still can be the spoiler. As happens this time of year, everybody has a reason to play. And the reason is you want to spoil another team's opportunity and this is an opportunity for Vancouver to throw a dagger in the Leafs, uh, you know, hopes for finishing ahead of Boston. And that's what the Leafs want to do. That's an imperative move. And this game is important just for that reason. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've watched Vancouver games more so this year. Pedersen brings a different well, – you look at the difference between last year and this year. Pedersen being on the team makes a massive difference. Uh, their goaltending has, has, as you said, has had been on and off. Markstrom has had good games, and they've lost. But I think the biggest thing about uh, Vancouver on top of that is they brought in some veteran players that can, you know, just add some depth lower in the lineup and not make it tough for your, you know, the bottom part of your lineup to match up against other teams. So, I mean, they're, they've... Uh, They've been a, a, a surprise in that I thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Um, I mean, they're not far off in terms of their – I think they're in a watery position, but they're not – you know, they're not like L.A., New Jersey, or yeah. Ottawa. They can convince themselves they have a shot at the playoffs. We'll leave it there. Edmonton. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm interested in seeing if this is going to be a team that's new and improved when the Leafs meet them on Saturday night. I think you'll see a better Edmonton effort. I mean, they still have a shot technically in the for the playoffs. So if they win, I mean, do. anything it's all fair game. They do, and and there's no doubt that that they have a shot. And and to to clarify that and to make it more clear, yes, they're in fifth place in the wild card hunt. Yes, there are five teams they have to get ahead of. Uh, that would be the four teams that are. With them looking, uh, no, I apologize. No, no, they're, they're fifth. Yeah, they're fifth in the wild card hunt. But uh, you know, there's two teams. Two teams so in front other of them. Five teams, yeah, that uh, in the very front, and the, yeah, and there's two teams, three teams really in front of them because they have to take out uh, second place uh, in in the wild card, and they are the exact. They are six. Mm, it's tough. Six eight points out. Eight, eight, eight actually. 71 well, they, soda and and Dallas yeah. have 71 points. And that that 
unless the NHL.com is wrong, that, that means eight points. Can they make up eight points in 16 games? That's mm. tough. Very tough. Unless there's right. games against these player, these teams where you can make it up. Right. And, and again, it always comes down to at this point in the season, it's not as much how many points you can earn, it's how many teams you have to out-earn. That's the problem. You know, uh, they they have to hope that all those teams suck for a, for a while. Uh, you know, eight <laughs> points worth of uh, terrible play, which is 25% of the points available. So it, it's not a great opportunity for them. And uh, finally, uh, Tampa Bay on Monday in Tampa Bay. We've got a minute in Toronto. to discuss that. Go ahead. Well, in Toronto, actually. So, um yeah, I've been I've been salivating to watch the Leafs play Tampa again because this is the team in the East that I think the Leafs can best match up against. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing if the Leafs can can do that what they did the last time they played Tampa, which was good goaltending performance from Freddie. They rolled their four lines, they're scoring, um, and can they outmatch? I mean, Tampa has been on another level. Can the Leafs match that level of play? Yeah, and that is the real question. Uh, goaltending, very interesting to see how Anderson stands up against that team offensively. Uh, this is a team that knows that their future is not long, at least being as you know as they look right now in the unit that, that they have. Like the Leafs, they're going to have players that uh, just the team won't be able to afford. So, the pressure is going will be starting to mount, you know, and that's a kind of pressure that we haven't talked about. Maybe next week we'll talk about it. The pressure of having to play well now because you won't be together later. David, thank you for being on the program. He's David Morissuti. I'm Candid Frank. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Catch you next time.